Thank you so much for checking out the audio version of my channel, Ruslan KD, can you stream out loud on all platforms? If you, yes, you find this valuable, the best way you can reach me, the best way you can give me feedback, the best way you can even hop into a group Zoom call with me is through our King's Dream Patreon community. So consider partnering with us there. The link is in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support. Now enjoy. Bruce Lawn. I am on a mission to talk to as many creators Christians, brothers in Christ, who I believe are a part of the solution in terms of what we're seeing with evangelicalism and some of the stuff in the media. And so I want to highlight different voices, voices that I find value from. I just recently had uh, Pastor Trey Van Camp on the channel. And today I wanted to introduce you guys who, who haven't heard of this gentleman uh, to one of my favorite uh, Christian creators on YouTube who I just discovered recently. And, uh, and his content is really good. So without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, we have Matt from the... The, the 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 10 minute Bible hour. Matt, thank you so much for being here, man. Your your channel has been an oasis to me and I've 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 been binging your stuff. Uh if for folks who don't know who you are, could you just briefly tell them what you do on your channel, the 10 minute Bible hour, and then we'll jump into some 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 important topics. Yeah. At the it's overwhelming oh. and disorienting. I mean, there were horns and that's a lot <laughs> for me. That doesn't normally happen. Uh, I was a pastor for a long time and never felt quite at home in that role, but I liked doing it. And I particularly liked thinking like a normal human about the Bible with people who wanted to be there and wanted to think about it too. And so I really enjoyed the unpack the text, cultural context, history stuff about it. And mm -hmm. I also really liked the part where you ask the obvious questions that come of it. And so I was doing that at a church I was working at for a long time because people kind of came and go or came and went in odd intervals because we lived in a remote part of the world out by Jackson, Wyoming. Mm -hmm. So what I was finding was I wanted to go right through books of the Bible, but it was tough mm -hmm. for people to come up because if you want to go to Home Depot, it's five hours round trip. So people go out of town and then they're gone. And so I just started doing 10 minute versions of what we were covering in church, but just goofing around more. I felt like I could be even more human in that setting. And it was just meant for people at church to watch and keep up with what was going on. And then more people started watching it and more people started watching it. And eventually I started doing videos about things other than books of the Bible. And uh, eventually I started to use the channel as a way for me to go and learn about other expressions of Christianity. And so I started taking a camera and just going around to different churches and asking for a tour and asking what things mean and pointing at yeah. stuff in buildings like a child and in the process, <laughs> learning about how other people do Christianity and, and what to make of that and finding a lot of collegiality. And so yeah. in the last couple of years, I, I would say that one of the big points of what I do on the Internet and what I care about is convictional Christian unity. Mm. Uh, not that I imagine the, like some clown that just bought a microphone and a camera can go on the Internet and solve age old crises and theological divisions. But I do think we're a little better positioned to put some of that stuff back together now than we've ever been for various cultural and technological reasons. 
And so I guess on my channel, we work on a new ethic of maybe how to move forward in a way that's constructive between different Christian traditions. I love that, man. And I think what I've gleaned from your channel, and I mean, you, you've sat down, I feel like, what almost every single camp of what we would say is within the lines of Orthodox Christianity, right? So mm-hmm. from, from uh, the Eastern Orthodox, the Catholic, the Seventh-day Adventist, the Presbyterian Reformed, and what it, what it does for me and encourages me is that I feel like it, Christianity is so much broader than we think about it. And sometimes we get into a camp and our camp is right and we have all the answers and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> and when you start sitting down with other brothers and sisters from other faith traditions that are still unified on, on what we would call the essentials, the, the creeds, right? The, the early mm-hmm. creeds, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what things are evident. I think it just broadens the scope and it encourages me, man, that this thing is way bigger than we think it is. And in the sense that we think it's very Western and Protestant or Reformed and, and this whole thing. And so I love that about your channel. Did did all of this come as a byproduct? Because you, you have a video where you kind of share a little bit of your kind of deconstruction or reconstruction journey. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Did that come as a byproduct of that? Meaning that at some point, I'm guessing you kind of had a, 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 a more of a fundamentalist type faith maybe. And then it kind of, you, you, you deconstructed, reconstructed it to something a bit broader. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's really insightful and props on great preparation to make that connection. I'm a, dude, I'm a fan. A like, I'm like, I like and watch your stuff like probably every other day. I really am a fan of your stuff. So uh, I'm, thank I'm you, honored. But yeah. <laughs> and I'm honored that just anybody would put the effort into connecting the dots on points of my story because my faith journey is still unfolding. Yeah. I definitely yep. don't want to be the guy who. It makes a YouTube channel is like, well, since I solved Christianity, I thought I'd maybe solve it for all of you as well. Uh, I'm I'm working on it. This yeah. is a, a an untangling of the Christmas lights process yeah. for me. You know what it's like when you get those out of the box and say, I put these away neatly. This was fine when I looked at it last. And now how on earth is this going to come back apart and ever work or make sense again? Yeah. Yeah. And so I was raised around Christianity. My dad was converted as the first Christian in the history of his family, well, in generations in his family. He was converted by a, a very fundamentalist uh, missionary to Africa. And I'm very grateful to the dude, even though I don't share all of that missionary's convictions about every single thing. And so dad's journey was very much fundamentalism in the early going of it. Mm-hmm. And that it didn't have the same problematic overtones that that term does at this point. I mean, that's kind Mm -hmm. of just what Christianity looked like in the mid 20th century. But then dad went to seminary. He did a full deconstruction, tried out the Pentecostal thing for a while, ultimately Mm. found that to be unconvincing in terms of some of the claims and Mm -hmm. held on to some of that, walked away from some of that, really ended up being a dude who leaned into the intellectual side the the philosophy, the historical tradition was interesting to him. And that's just what I was raised on was my dad going through the process of faith. He and I are both night owls. We'd stay up till two in the morning, three in the morning, mm. most nights, even school nights, wow. workshop and ideas. He read this. I read this. We're, I mean, we started doing this when I was like nine and it's still what we do when we get on the phone. I mean, he reads me poems that inspire him and we workshop it and think about it. He's just a dude with a great mind, but I've watched him unpack his faith 
over the course of his entire lifetime. And mm. so that's all I've ever known. That's what was modeled for me. Mm. And so I would not describe my upbringing as fundamentalist. I would describe it as, yeah, pretty much in keeping with the expectations in the late 80s and early 90s of okay. what's naughty and what's nice that now mm -hmm. sounds silly. But then uh, it was just that's where the cultural lines were drawn. Yeah. What, what really didn't work for me were a couple of things. One was a lot of those lines started to seem increasingly arbitrary as the world got smaller through technology. I felt like, and there's a lot of people who come at this faith thing very differently. Mm -hmm. They can't mm -hmm. all be insane. It can't be like Jesus was right. And then <laughs> Paul was right. And then a whole bunch of stupid crap happened. And then Martin Luther was sort of right. And then Calvin <laughs> was sort of right. And then evangelicalism <laughs> happened. And now, okay, now we, we figured we gotta it out. We got to figure like, it out. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, come on. I might, I'm going to, I'm going to find points of disagreement with every yeah. tradition ever, including everyone yes. I've ever clung to. Yeah. But just because I might find points that I'm like, look, I just can't honestly think that right at this moment. doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's insane or everybody yeah. thought it or thinks it is stupid. Mm -hmm. And that shift was a very difficult one for me. The mm. idea that my right standing with God was coupled to my rightness, period. Assenting mm. to all the right ideas and having a system of thought and something I could defend with a quick wit and defeat people in an argument, that means I'm right. It was very much that mid-20th century vacuum cleaner salesman mentality in terms yeah, of yeah. if I give you a good pitch, you have to buy the vacuum. Mm. But that's not the gospel. Right. But the gospel is I am totally depraved and broken and dead in my sin, and I'm incapable of saving myself, even with the magnificent training and upbringing I got with my dad. Yeah. My rightness does not expunge my record. My ability to defeat someone who wasn't even looking for an argument in an argument in an elevator does not make me right with God or liberated from the consequences of my sin, which is death and separation from God. Mm -hmm. It's only the work of Christ on the cross and in the resurrection that that works. And so when you're, when you're a kid who isn't, I wouldn't say a fundamentalist, but but very discreetly and sophisticatedly building a faith around your own competence and your own mm. rightness and your own mm -hmm. goodness, mm -hmm. that crap is going to break hard. Mm. And, and it did break hard. It broke hard in my own behavior when I'm in your kid and you have the, the bumpers on and your parents, you don't do anything wrong, but then you get on your own a little bit and no, you're just like everybody else. You, yeah. you do things that are wrong. You hurt people. You say dumb stuff. You do dumb stuff. You like most people, you leave a little trail of wreckage behind you. And for a while you can be like, well, that's because other people were being idiots. But eventually you look at the sum of it and you're like, no, I've done redemptive things. And I've also hurt people and been an idiot just like yep. everybody else. Yep. So maybe there isn't some cheap, fast way to rightness with God that only I get to know and only really good people like me. Maybe I'm in need of a savior and completely dead in my sins like everybody else. So the behavior thing breaks and then the the thought structure breaks. And for mm. me, what broke there was uh, the mega church, the evangelical formulas, the inconsistent hermeneutic of the text where <laughs> you read this text this way because if you apply that same structure of thought to this text right next door, it, it destroys the whole religion. 
Yep. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And then I was in the middle of a church while I was wrestling through that. They got into a big, stupid, dumb fight over a bunch of stupid things. And I drove away from that church with my, whatever, three, four, five-week-old first child and just started just started bawling to myself in the moving van. It had mm. never occurred to me there might not be a God. Mm. It had never occurred to me that I could be wrong. It had never occurred to me that, like, no, I, I'm the problem. And so in that moment, it was truly atheism for an extended period of time in the most honest sense. Like I just didn't mm. think there was a God anymore. Mm. But weirdly, at the same time, I'm also going through this process by which I'm, I'm more forced into a right posture to respond to the gospel as it's presented, which is mm. I'm a little child. I'm broken. I, I bring nothing to the table. I don't know stuff. My brain can't solve this. My character can't solve this. And so after a long process of that, you know, I, I come back out of it and still speaking to your question, the, I discover the, the, one of the real issues I, I had with my faith and one of the real time bombs that finally went off was I'm a church history guy. I mean, I went to college for this three times and this is what I do. And, and it's all been very clinical and distant, but then you start getting to know people who really think it in the age of the internet. Yeah. And, and this deconstruction happened for me right on the front end of the age of the internet, like, you know, mid two thousands, just as YouTube yeah. picks up, which yeah. I view as the dividing line between the old ways of faith yeah. and whatever we're into now. Yeah. And, uh, brother, it just, it started really messing with me that there were other people who sincerely believed things and they weren't just figments of my imagination who lived in other parts of the world yep. or went to some dumb enclave full of crazy people. I started to meet them yeah. on the internet, yeah, started yeah. to listen to them talk about their faith. I started to see the things that I suspected were weird about their expression that were problematic. And I started to be like, Oh, yep. Yep. I see it. But then in the next breath, I'd see something that made more sense than what I was doing. And so it wasn't like, oh, everybody else is right and I'm an idiot. And it wasn't mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm right and everybody else is an idiot. It was more this mixed bag of, yeah, huh, the, it really was inevitable that that expression of Christianity was going to happen at some point. Hmm. And it's inevitable, given what we have for the Bible and the way this whole thing started, that expression had to happen too. And that one had to happen. And if they if they didn't all happen, that would actually be the surprising thing. Mm -hmm. It isn't surprising that, that they did happen. And just that little bit of realization is what started to cause me to feel empathy toward other expressions of creedal historical Christianity, as opposed to being threatened by it. If there's somebody else out there who thinks something different and they have a point, that is a threat to my salvation. And my hope that I get to see my dead relatives in heaven and my sense of rightness and having everything in order and everything working and everything in the right place. That's how I used to feel. Right. But gradually this age of the internet and that deconstruction, reconstruction process I went through has got me feeling more like, no, there's actually something rather beautiful and reassuring about the transcendence of God and the reality of this whole enterprise, the whole dang thing, Christianity, yeah. Bible, God, all of it. There's something very reassuring about the fact that it doesn't all look like my version. It's a long <laughs> answer to your question, but hopefully yeah. I'm speaking to what you're no, driving that's, at. No, that's, that's beautiful, man. And, and, it, and it, is, it is reassuring in that it reflects who I think God is, which is a big God. 
It's a big God that can speak to people in Ethiopia. It's a big God that can speak mm-hmm. to people in India. It's a bit right. It's a, it's a big Jesus that um, is way broader than our Western kind of view of things, right? And and and, I, and that's and that's beautiful. And so I've enjoyed you talk about that and. The different and you guys really should like subscribe, check out his channel. I mean, you've you've had so many really cool conversations with different kinds of people. Um, it sounds like your faith tradition, and, and, and I don't mean to apply because I haven't seen a video about this, but as I'm kind of listening through the language, it seems like you kind of come from a more reformed, uh, John Calvinist type position. Is that a, is that a fair assessment in the tradition of like a Charles Spurgeon or or no? No, uh, but okay. sort of, but no, <laughs> I, 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 spice before the foundations of the earth were put in place, it was ordained that I would be mostly reformed on Tuesdays and every other Friday. <laughs> it, it just depends on who I'm talking to. Yeah. Yeah. My, my pushback on reformed thought is small, but my central pushback would be that I think that several of the central tenets of reformed thought are very biblical, at least some of the time. God mm-hmm. definitely preordained who would be Christians at least some of the time in the Bible, maybe all of the time, but we don't know mm-hmm. that for sure, yeah. but yeah. definitely some of the time. Some of the time. And so, yeah, I, I understand that uh, it can be kind of career suicide to acknowledge that you do not fit neatly into the uh, reformed <laughs> Arminian sure, sure, sure. schema, but I, I think yeah. that's... I think the question that has caused that age-old debate is actually a secondary question that is better uh-huh. framed in light of the primary question, which is starting with the nature of God. The, what yeah. are the necessary realities that come with having an infinite God? And for that reason, I, I find a lot of the tenets of Molinism appealing mm-hmm. in terms mm-hmm. of an explanation of God is infinite, therefore he knows everything. God's never mm-hmm. learned anything. Let's think through the implications of that. Yeah. So then when you consider that and you get down to well, what is predestination, it's not as simple as your philosophy 101 freshman year class where it's like, oh, well, either he picked or you picked. Eh, there's a third way here. Yes, yes. And I think, the, I think that since both freedom and determinism seem to be present in the text, yep. that third way that's more rooted in the, the infinite nature of God is more appealing to me. Yeah, yeah. But I say again, my friend, hey, I don't know. I really yeah. like thinking yeah, about yeah. it. I, I'm no, not going to th- go with the broadsword and say these people are nuts or those people are. That's just right. where I'm at in my process. Right, right. I think you you put it so simply, and and it's it, again, it's it sounds a lot like the, the 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 thoughts I initially came into the faith into until I got kind of exposed to all these different ideas, and then I got more confused. And then as you know, walking with Jesus has been almost 20 years. Then it comes back to like a simpler faith of like, well, yeah, it's just and both. Why can't it be and both? And it's like, no, you have to pick and choose. It's one or the other. Like you're either. And it's like, well, no, it's you know. And the way you put that was was beautifully. You mentioned the mega church model. Um, are you keeping up with some of the more mainstream critique, mainstream in terms of Christianity, of like um, uh, rise and fall of Mars Hill and some of that kind mm-hmm. of stuff? And and what do you make of? that specifically but just mainly the 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 broader scope of how we've kind of created this celebrity christian pastor culture uh where people get elevated to platforms they make mistakes and then they're villains and it's you know it's to me it almost sounds it it reminds me of when the people wanted the king and they wanted saul 
And God's like, ah, I don't think you want, you know, God, no, we're here. No, 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 no. We need, we need, we need one. They, He's going to force your kids to fight wars that you yeah. don't want them to fight in. You guys yeah. sure and you I want feel a like, king? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's where we got to with, in terms of a lot of the mega church stuff and, you know. So anyway, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Are you keeping up with, with some of the, uh, the, the stuff coming out from Christianity today? And, and what do you make of that? Uh, yeah, I am keeping up with it more than I have in a long time. I, I used to be really intrigued by that. And all of this weirdly ties back into my journey of faith. I mean, for a long time, I felt like my superpower was my rightness so I could observe other people's wrongness and then find wittier, more winsome, funnier, cutting ways to articulate what's wrong with the thing. Like, I'm good at workshopping what's wrong with the thing and really getting to the heart. Mm-hmm. And that that wore thin. I mean, I got a little tired of being that guy. And that was kind of on the other side of my my faith divide process. So back then I paid attention a lot so that I could imagine myself right and everybody else dumb. As I look at it now, I guess I'm in a little bit of a different place because, well, now I'm one of those people, aren't I? not an important one, not a fancy one. I mean, mm. literally this is my basement. I mean, it's, I, those are real books and I do work at this desk. <laughs> That's not a set. Like, no, it, it's a basement, man. I mean, I got lights and stuff so you can see my face, but no, I, I, I work down here, but I'm just, I'm some guy. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, well, for whatever reason, I don't know what to make of this. Still a lot of people watch a lot of people yeah. listen every single day. I mean, that's, that flips the equation for me. So, so me, so you, we're people mm-hmm. who other people listen to. And so now all of a sudden, all of the Mars Hill podcast comes up and I'm, I'm caught up on that. Uh, CT writing articles now, which I find mm-hmm. to be a little bit ghoulish about every significant church that has a problem or mm-hmm. where elders mm-hmm. get crossways with each other. You know, here's a very important, hard hitting article to follow it up. And all of a sudden, even though I might disagree with the churches that are being critiqued, I'm also yeah. a little bit like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Like, what's yeah. the upside here? Yep. It reminds me of when Tony Stark built a death robot that destroyed an entire city by flying it up into the sky and smashing it in Eastern Europe in whatever that was, Age of Ultron. And then in the next episode, he's so sad that to process through his guilt, he punishes all of his friends by making them... <laughs> sign documents and own culpability like nobody else made the death robot you idiot that was you (laughs) and i get that we all need to work through our guilt in some way but i feel like there's a little bit of that that has to be acknowledged yeah it's part of this deconstruction trend where people are like "Ah, yuck what was i a part of that felt a little culty that got a little weird and domineering and it uh, it doesn't fit with the values that we have now but that's kind of what we thought in 2004 like kind of everybody it was pre-YouTube, pre-internet. And so what I'm hearing is Mike Cosper, who I think is very talented, and the people behind that show, I mean, there's some therapy going on. This is yeah. them working oh, yeah. through their sense of culpability yeah. and yeah. their ownership in it. It's cathartic to listen to. Yeah, and I and I don't begrudge them any of it. Yeah. But it's weird that somebody who I so have not resonated with over the years, Mark Driscoll, he's never been a sympathetic character to me. I don't I don't I'm, He's not a bad man. He's not. I have no judgment. I'm just acknowledging truthfully. I have not resonated with that approach or that style. And yet I listen to this podcast and I feel I feel empathy. Like, like mm. dude was taking a swing. It sounds like he kind of turned into a jerk. I've asked a lot more people to pray for me not to turn into more of a jerk than I already yeah. am. 
Uh, it makes me really nervous. It makes me really sensitive as I listen to it. Yeah. But I'm troubled by the fact that in all those articles that I'm reading about you know, this church is being dumb or those elders are mad at somebody else, there's a lot of hearsay and there's mm. no Bible. Mm. I, I haven't heard a word of biblical critique in eight episodes of the Mars Hill podcast of of what's wrong with Mark Driscoll other than, I mean, he's just behaving in ways that they're citing through sources that were jerky and that are not in keeping with 2021 workplace best practice values. Now I care about 2021 workplace best practice values, Yeah, but it's, I, I mean, why is it wrong biblically? Why was what he was doing not in keeping with the authority of scripture or the text there? So it's weird to me that that just doesn't come up. Mm -hmm. um, it's also weird to me in the article I just read about John Piper's church yep. that I, like there's a lot of people and that article is impenetrable, brother. I read through the whole thing and it's like, well, Daryl went to Applebee's with Connie and Connie saw him there, but Daryl didn't even say hi. So Connie knew he was mad. Then Connie went to the second pastor. Well, it's the second pastor's assistant and the elder who works with him and saw her wife, his wife. And then they got to talking and figured out that they didn't get the same story from the other guy. So they went to the other guy and they saw him at Chili's. No, that was also at Applebee's. And yeah. then it's like, holy cow, that's not journalism. You, we look like idiots. And, and so I read that article and I come away maybe for the first time in my life understanding the don't do lawsuits among believers yes. text. It's like you just don't want to trot this out because you all look stupid. You, It's gossipy. It's ridiculous. Yeah. You do go out and get a margarita and tell that story to somebody who's super empathetic at Chili's or Applebee's. But it does not play well as journalism. Like They got a problem. They got different visions. They don't know yeah. what to do with CRT and and some of the new, more fundamentalist elements of the extreme far end of the distribution culturally. Yeah. Guess what? Nobody knows what to do with it. Yeah. Everybody feels this sense of, well, of course we want justice. Also, mm, there are things mixed in with that, that that those are tested ideas and those don't work. There's a right. little bit of bad idea and murderous ideology mixed in with really good ideas and things that are yeah. fair and right and just. Yeah. Yeah. So people feel tension. They feel internally conflicted. They're going to feel yeah. conflicted within the church. It should be no surprise that a church that has a conscience is going to feel conflicted about something that is demonstrably a mixed bag. Yes. They're not going to have unity in how to proceed. And it just feels a little bit ghoulish and grave robberish to me to lick the chops and quickly run right over there and be like, oh, tell me everything, Brenda. Oh, is yeah. that so, Kyle? Well, yeah, we'll we'll handle that discreetly. Like, I don't, I just don't need it. It feels like a little vulture circling. I don't understand how that makes things better, but it feels like there is this reckoning happening. Mm. Some of which is fair. Some of which is misguided where all of us are coming to grips with the reality that the Christianity we were raised with didn't win. It didn't win in the way we thought winning happened. The age of the internet happened and wow. all the churches who were doing well before quit mm -hmm. doing well. My credentialing is with the Evangelical Free Church. I got two degrees from their institutions. I've worked in those kind of churches forever. Mm -hmm. it, was the, it was the best thing going in evangelicalism until exactly the year YouTube happened and the curves just flip. YouTube goes up, EFCA becomes more listless. It's just struggled. It, it knew what to do before that. It doesn't know what to do in the age of the internet quite as well. And you know what? Nobody knows what to do in the age mm. of the internet. We haven't mm. cracked the nut yet. We don't, we don't know how to be. We don't know how to say the gospel to the internet era. 
it's mingled up with politics, some of which makes sense, some of which doesn't. There's other things boiling to the surface, past abuses and wrongs that we want to do right by, but also at some point we'd like to look to the future and and do new things and move forward. And so this paralysis is what I'm seeing everywhere. And again, to your question, what I see in the Mars Hill podcast is some kind of therapeutic reckoning. Let's try to make sense of whatever this thing was that a lot of us got behind sort of processing. But if the rise and fall of Mars Hill is our end game, we're doomed. That Mm. can't be where Christianity is headed. If that's a little stop off point, a little depot that we needed to check in to clear our heads before we do the next thing. Fine. We like, I just told you the story of me having to clear my head and my faith straight up breaking. I can be patient with other people who need to have a reckoning with their stuff as well. But at some point, what's the plan here? I think at some point, the goal of the church is to go and proclaim the gospel and make disciples of all nations. I think at some point, what we do here is we take this beautiful thing that are the values of the kingdom, we put it in front of whatever version of brokenness the world is while we're on the stage, and what do you know? It's transformative. So right now, the new... uh, fundamentalism that exists one of the key tenets is no forgiveness ever you Mm. violate the new orthodoxy you're gonna suffer well guess what that's gonna get old because it'll burn everybody (laughs) guess what we have forgiveness for complete screw-ups like me forgiveness for people who hurt people and do stupid stuff forgiveness for mark driscoll for being a jerk forgiveness for people who did awful things and yeah there might be some accountability you might have to square accounts that might hurt but There is forgiveness in Christ, and that's the thing that we need to be repositioning to be able to say to a world that really quickly here is going to get tired of the new fundamentalism they're inventing, because we got tired of it, because it's unsustainable. There's no grace, there's no life in it, and we're months. Maybe we're already there. Maybe we're a year. Maybe we're two years away from a place where a clear kingdom Christian gospel message of there is life, there is forgiveness, no one is irredeemable, there is justice in this thing yeah. they come the the burden that you're carrying is heavy the burden of christ is light take this on and see taste of the life that is in it right now we are not positioned to do that because of division in the church yep. because we don't know what to do with the internet because we're still reckoning with our own demons and our own past yeah. but i think we're close so when i see the podcast you referenced when i see the kind of articles that i'm seeing my feeling is okay if it's for a minute or two yeah yeah but at some point we have to go do the thing that we do that we exist to do we can't take that off for one or two generations or nobody will remember it and so so we kind of have a job with our little moment on the stage here brother yeah that's good i think what's frustrating is it seems like a lot of the new fundamentalism i I think that's, that's actually a good way to coin it right because there's a lot of, it's like a re-emerging, is I think it's so focused on being known by what it's against instead yes. of being known by what it's for. So I, I was having a conversation yes. with uh, someone that's a, a Christian YouTuber, fundamentalist. He won't talk to me face-to-face on my channel. His name is Spencer Smith, fun guy. Uh, and I always like, because I like I like having like that fundament, that hardline fundamentalist friend just to like bounce stuff off of him. So I'm watching your stuff. I'm like, hey, like, what do you think about... Catholics and you know Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, all these different d- different groups, and he's like, he basically told me like, well, I think there's there's 
you know, they're, they're basically the, 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 the whore of Babylon or some like obscure reference from Revelation. Wow. I was like, oh. I was like, okay, like, all right. And, and, and so, so it's like a, it's a very much so like the, our camp is it, everyone else is out. And then it becomes, uh, we are anti, we're anti this. So n- fill in the blank of whatever society is saying has value, right? Uh, CRT, vaccine, whatever, fill in the blank of whatever there's justice, whatever that thing is. And we are now anti this, right? Yeah. And so I think that to me is is so telling that uh, uh, the, the the encouraging part for me is I didn't know there was this many Christians when I first got saved. I really didn't because I, I you know I'm in Southern California, very very non Christian, and so it was it was me and like a handful of kids at a three thousand person high school. Now I'm like, holy smokes, there's a lot of Christians out there. But yeah. wow, you guys are really passionate about not just being known by what you're against, but by dunking on anybody that disagrees with you, which I think is yeah. is scary. And so something as simple as like uh, a Christian influencer friend of mine put up a thing and was like, "Hey, what do you guys think about the vaccine?" You know, and I was like, "I'm against the mandates. I don't think every I don't think you should be forced to get it. I got it. I think it's pro- probably wise to get it. I think God uses science. Check out Dr. Francis it's Collins. He's a infinitely Christian. reasonable position. Right, reasonable position. And it's like you're paid off by big pharma. You took the shot of Satan. And to the, like, I screenshotted it. And then it happened again. Another buddy of mine is like, Mar- you know, vaccine mark of the beast. And da, 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 da. and I said, and I said, bro, like you could do whatever you want with your body. I love you. This is why I got it." And and just, like and 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 I think posting stuff like this is unhelpful. Watch at the response of my comment, and sure enough, within minutes, you're the spawn of Satan. You're blah blah blah. You have no you you're fearful. You don't trust God. And then he literally DM me, who disagrees with me, and was like, "Bro, you're right. I'm taking the post down." Which I was like, respect, right? Respect on that. But what is in us that is so content with? being okay with being known by what we're against instead of saying, man, I'm known by Jesus. Jesus is the answer. The The ways of God are the best ways to live, even though they're suffering and, and trouble. I think that when I hear that good news, that's that's what made me come to Jesus. It's not me, people pointing to me and telling me the world's evil. I know that already. I was in the world. I know it's dark. I know I, I know people are going to be done, do, do, do stupid stuff there. So what do you think that is, and, 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 and do you have hope in terms of, like, where this, where we're going? Do you think there's a, a solution? Obviously, the solution is having conversation like this, other voices, highlighting other voices, that kind of thing, which is really why I'm talking to you. I just talked to my pastor friend, Trey Van Camp. I'm, I want to highlight people, but I know I just said a whole lot. So uh, what do you make of that, like this, like, hell-bent, I am okay with being known by the things I'm against, and if you disagree— I'm going to dunk on you. Yeah, it's a great question. And I think there are reasons that's what we want to do right now. One of those is that the age of innocence is past. You remember that old, old Don Henley song, The End of the Innocence? Mm. And he uses uh, a romance and uh, the metaphor of uh, virginity almost. Mm. But he's not hes not just talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, his individual innocence, if you will, in the sense that that we use it that way. He's talking about the passing of an age, an age of a certain cultural expectation, a certain naivete, um, but also a certain benefit of the doubt into an age of knowing. 
we've eaten of the fruit mm. in the age of digital media, mass media. It didn't just start with the internet. It started with Viacom and the other five companies that owned everything. If you grew up in the 80s or 90s, mm. those seemed like a whole bunch of original ideas that were floating around, but they weren't. It was six companies informing everything everybody thought from Gen X. And then what happens is time goes by, the internet occurs, our eyes are open to a whole bunch of other things. And roughly 1990, the innocence goes away and it's replaced with been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. I know. And this, <laughs> and, and it was, it was typified in music that I really like and an era that I really like, but the, the grunge era, the displacing of cutesy teen pop with mm -hmm. gritty, grimy, here's a song about suicide kind of stuff. Now it's, yeah. that's top 40 music. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then deep, profound processing urban music becomes part of the equation too. So you've got in the nineties, you've got the flannel wearing, been there, done that angsty kind of thing mingled with the inner city, been there, done that angsty kind of thing. And both groups that informed music through the nineties and pop culture through the nineties were very, very cynical, mm -hmm. mad at their dad, mad yep. at society. I've seen enough of this world to know that it's an irredeemable mess. And so what you start to find commonality with people then just in the subtle tonal shift of society is if you hate the same stuff, if you hate the same stuff, you have a collegiality that can't be broken. It's mm, uh, in addition wow. to the music just being undesirable. It's why it was so trendy and cute to hate Nickelback, which uh, musically, I, I think people who don't like Nickelback very much <laughs> have a good point. But I mean, come on, it's just some silly band from Canada like the the hate train got rolling, not because the music was so disastrous. It was because hate this and I'll love you. It was even a song by that name. And so it, it's not just about, in my mind, Christianity and the church and politics. Mm -hmm. it, everything has been shaped by this cultural shift that happened mm -hmm. towards cynicism yeah, and yeah, yeah, anger and brokenness and a reversion to tribalism and a dismissal of anything that is just bright-eyed and optimistic as being Pollyannish and silly. Mm -hmm. like, you don't want to be that. That's how rubes are. People who mm -hmm. are sophisticated are mad about things and see what's wrong with other people and can wow. say it in a lot of words and with a lot of emotion. Well, I remember the presidential election of 1992. It's probably the first one I was able to really listen to and track with what was going on. I could not vote in that election, but I, I remember it. And in the process of that election... I just remember all the ideas that got discussed. I remember, was it 88? Yeah, I think it was 88. Maybe Lloyd Benson was the vice presidential candidate and he insulted, was it Dan Quayle? Yeah, I think that's what it was. And it was shocking. Everybody was like, whoa, he said, you're no Jack Kennedy. Dang, like talk <laughs> about ideas. Easy now. And then you go and you look at the last... 20 years of politics and you got Donald Trump being like, yeah, Rand Paul, your hair is curly and stupid. And you look like an idiot and a girl. Yeah. It's like, what are you doing? Nasty, nasty lady. And then Hillary Clinton shrieking back at Donald yeah. Trump. Yeah. I was, what is this? We used to talk about ideas, yeah. but that yeah. doesn't have currency anymore. Mm. Proactivity, redemptiveness, that doesn't have currency. That's for rubes and idiots. What mm. has currency is being mad about the same stuff. That mm. is thicker than water right now. Gosh. And you see it in our politics. You see it in our culture. You see it in our movies. You see it in our tweets. You see it in the way, well, frankly, you see it everywhere other mm. than one-on-one -on -one 
normal human interaction where it still feels better to be like, hey, thank you for taking care of me here at the checkout line. I hope you have a good day. Oh, I hope you have a good day, too. That still feels better between actual humans. <laughs> but everywhere else, what I'm against has more currency. So then you fold that into your question and consider church. Well, it's easy to play the game of fight fire with fire. Mm. And if people are against stuff, okay, well, I guess we need to be against stuff, too, because it's working for the other team. Excuse me. They're getting stuff out of this. Yep. The more they complain, the more politics seem to tilt their way. We should take a page out of that playbook and we should try it with the church and be mad about things. Except, I mean, no condescension toward people who are watching or listening to this who aren't Christians or don't believe the same things I do about God. But this is the reality of my conviction, so I'm just going to say it. I expect that behavior from the world and from the world values that are predicated mm -hmm. on you're born, you get to do some stuff, and then you die, and that's all there is. Right. I expect that kind of do whatever it takes, Machiavellian, yep. art of yep. war, crush your opponents kind of yeah. mentality. Yeah, and justify it's the a, means. Yeah, yes, sir. But it's a brand mismatch with the values of the kingdom. Come on, you, you undermine the whole message if you fight like that with the values of the kingdom. Our superpower is like you can nail us to a freaking chunk of wood and kill us. Yeah, and the gospel goes forward. The blood of the martyr is seed. You can do all kinds of horrible things to us, but it doesn't change anything yeah. about the softness of and necessary and necessity of, of the grace and forgiveness that everybody needs. And so historically, we're at our best when we just take it and it only softens our hearts more toward the people who are angry and don't like it and don't like us. So I don't like this new game plan. I don't like define everything by what we're against. Yeah. It's been a problem for for a while. And if you want to be countercultural right now, as you and I have this conversation, if you want to change the world and do something that makes no sense and is totally weird, it's not courageous to go and say leftist tropes. Yeah. That's the least brave thing in the world. It's not courageous to get together with a bunch of angry Christians and say angry things about how dumb and wrong this group or that group is. The brave, dangerous move is forgive your enemies. It's love your enemy. It's be, yeah. it's be doggedly, defiantly forgiving toward people you disagree with or people who hurt you. If you want to be countercultural and you want to change the world, that's what you do right now. Wow, that's good. That's that man. That's that's a um, it's a mic drop moment. Would you say, in having these conversations? with all these different types of Christians, right? And, 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 and we'll find, like, I get, the, like, the do you think Catholics are saved question, or, like, do you think these people are saved? Do you think they have, what would you define as the, more or less, the essentials of the faith? Would you just go back to, you know, Apostles' Creed, that, that? Mm -hmm. Or would you, how would you define uh, orthodox belief in regards to who y you view as fellow brothers in Christ, because I, 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 when I hear you talk to all these different guys, your buddy that's a Catholic, um, I saw the conversation with the Seventh Day of Venice um, uh, crowd. Obviously, the conversations with the Eastern Orthodox. Um, how would you define those parameters? Of saying, hey, if we're within these parameters, we're brothers in Christ. We're going to believe the best about each other. We might have some disagreements. But we're going to move towards unity. How, how would you, for you, define that in, in terms of what is orthodoxy? We have to be talking about the exact same deity 
for starters. Mm. Okay. And I, the creedal definition gets it done. That's what they were concerned about. Wait, who, who is God? How can God exist in three parts? How does that all work? Who is Jesus? What's the nature of Christ? There's a reason that people spend an unbelievable amount of time and attention and thought on that topic, because what was happening around the Christian world, particularly the Eastern Mediterranean world, particularly North Africa and parts of Greece in the first few centuries of Christianity is literally it got to the place where people were calling themselves Christians, but they were effectively worshiping different deities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That doesn't work. Christianity rallies around a single deity, one God. And it took a lot of work we found with human language to describe and denominate exactly who we mean when we say God. The creeds accomplish this. And so for me, the first boundary marker of historical Christian orthodoxy is, is it creedal or is it not? Now, I understand that you've got Mormon friends who are watching this. I have Mormon friends. There's a ton of things I love and respect about Mormonism. I lived in Mormon country for a long time. But we're talking about a slightly different deity Mm -hmm. than the way the LDS church would define God. So I I think just taxonomically, without making any judgment about what that means or who receives what fate or what judgment, I am not qualified for any of that business. Just taxonomically speaking, there's a slightly different definition of the deity going on in some of those groups that have hung around the fringes of historical Christian orthodoxy. Now, I might find some of those groups to be more palatable in terms of looking like what I do and what I think and what I'm comfortable with the group than groups that are inside the boundaries mm-hmm. of creedal historical Christian orthodoxy. Again, I'm not trying to make any judgment here about any group's goodness or badness or anything, but to me, if if you don't start with, are we talking about the exact same deity? I don't know where you do start. It has to be that. And what that provides you with moving forward is something that dates to the very beginning of Christianity. So it it acknowledges the, um, the apostolic nature of these beliefs. It acknowledges the biblical nature of these beliefs that was at times and repeatedly affirmed by the entire church. Those boundary markers got drawn repeatedly and within those boundary markers, it's really, no, it's not really easy. I'm trying to develop an ethic of saying, is it possible that someone else within those historical boundary markers of the creeds could be right? Even 1% chance they're right about this thing that I look at and go, I just cannot square that with the Bible mm. or reason. I, I just don't, I can't do that. But at the same time, you're talking about the exact same deity. You're affirming the role of Christ, which comes up in the creeds. You're affirming the human situation, which comes up in the creeds. Mm -hmm. You got that stuff down. I might have issues with what you're doing with the Bible here or there. But if I can get to a place where I can say, is it even just possible that I'm totally missing this? And within the boundary, it's a lot easier to partner and just be to ask for the same patience for me because something I'm doing looks crazy to somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I would ask, like, is it possible that wherever I'm at in my process or what my tradition represents, could that be biblically? Is it conceivable? Yeah. And then there's at least a way to move forward convictionally saying, 
I will never hide the fact that I, I believe whatever I believe. I'd love to not believe it sometimes, but this is just, I can only stand where I stand. I can only think what I actually think in any given moment. And if we wait for me to agree with you on every single thing, we can never partner together. We can never do anything to move the gospel forward as a church. What are the chances of us in this grand orbit of ideas happening to have the two specks of light that represent our processes and ideas perfectly aligned for a second? It's just not going to happen with yeah. most people or most traditions. There's too much history. There's too much stuff, too many variables. <laughs> so we need an ethic of what we do with the stuff we disagree with other people about. Yeah. And I think the way we keep from getting to the, the, the point, the obvious objection would be, which is, well, what about stuff that isn't even Christian? Well, if it's within the boundaries of historical, creedal Christianity, I'm trying to give it the benefit of the doubt. If it yeah. falls outside those boundaries, well, we might still find all kinds of points of commonality. And I appreciate that, celebrate it, and I'm happy for it. But taxonomically, it's just a little different thing. Yeah. Is, is that what you were asking? Does that speak to yeah. the question? No, no, no. You, you totally answered it. So, so it sounds like you would go back to the creeds in terms of what is orthodoxy and then everything that's kind of outside of that. Yeah, so that's good. I could have just said that. Instead, I gave you like yeah. eight no, minutes. No, but you, you, gave, you, gave, you, gave me a, you gave a really thoughtful answer. It seems like every 500 years or so, there's a great schism. Right, and the first one, to my knowledge, was the Oriental, Oriental Church splitting over the uh, in two natures and of two natures. Jesus, yeah, the Chalcedonian definition. Yeah, the Chalcedonian. Yes, yes, yes. And then there was the Eastern split at what the year um, one thousand fifty ish. Ten fifty four. Ten fifty four. Yep. Then they split, and then of course we have the great Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther, uh, and then it seems like. We just kept protesting over and over and over. And there was a lot to protest. I mean, there were legitimate yeah. gripes. Yeah, and and it seems that we've continued, right? Like we've continued protesting, and so now it, it, there was there was there was a degree of structure. There was a degree, as flawed as the Catholic Church was, there was a degree of hierarchy, if you will, or some kind of structure, mutual submission. And then when you got the Protestant Reformation. There, there was kind of, you kind of sacrificed some of that. And now it's like, you know, every, and you have denominations that are 150 years old, 100 years old, that can't find any type of real tradition back, right? Do you think that the desire to split and protest is almost just embedded in us as Protestants? And do you, and the second question is, do you think there's another potential great schism happening it's been another 500 years. Now we're in the in age of the internet. Now there's mass information and we're more tribal than we've ever been. Could we see another split of, of more, almost like a, I would say like a, a fundamentalist versus neo-evangelical split? Because that term got conflated in the last, last hundred years. I think intentionally by Jerry Falwell as like a political mechanism, right? To like, hey, we're just going to all be evangelicals and, you know, 50 years ago, that meant two totally different things. Fundamentalism and evangelicals right. were separate. Right. And now right. it's one and the same. Do you see, uh, you know, do, do you want, so the first question is, do you think it's in our nature as Protestants to just like, well, I don't like the type of music we play, so I'm going to go plant my own church, right? <laughs> and, and two, yeah. do, do you think there's going to be a, a greater schism and a greater split that we've seen every 500 years? Marvelous question. Great topic. I would say that you got to look at, two parties, maybe three, when you talk about what is embedded in the the blood, there's something in the blood of Catholicism because of when it was born, because of mm -hmm. what happened. 
Catholicism as we think of it, I mean, the entire Orthodox Church would say that's not the original church. It's an expression of the original church. The East and the West both lay claim to that. And Christianity happened first in Greek-speaking territories. You at least got to acknowledge that the East has some sort of a point in that regard. But the East were client king states. They were subject states from the beginning. Why? Well, geographically, the part of the world, the Eastern Mediterranean, it's at the intersection of three continents. Yeah, Those yep. people are going to get beat up and kicked around a lot more as forces emerge in any one of these three continents and want to transverse the continental gap, the, the intersection there that is Anatolia, Turkey, the Levant, Israel. There's just going to be a lot of fighting there. People are going to get passed around. So the Eastern Church it's in its blood that it's going to get beat up, that it's going to be on the receiving end, and it's going to be a little bit defensive. Mm. I still see that in the internet comments I get from the Eastern Church. Sometimes it gets through the armor. It's usually mostly sympathetic to it. I, I mm. get why that's in the blood. The Western Church had no threats from any direction. They had already defeated their closest rival, Carthage, in the Punic Wars, 125, 150-ish years before the time of Jesus, there's no threat. They just mm. dominate. Now, eventually in 410, the threat from the European invaders picks up. But even then, it just sort of amalgamates into a new version of Rome. Mm. And the church is instrumental even in, in keeping Rome together. So in the East, you've got a, a take a beating kind of history that gets in the blood. But in the Western church, you've got more of an imperial structure that was still sitting there that the church was able to latch on to. Now, I don't know. How can you begrudge anybody that? There's an opportunity for the church to guide society. Everybody would take that. Whether it's a good idea or make it, who's a Christian because I want to make things better. Well, eventually that gets out of balance. And so that thing that gets in the blood of the Catholic tradition is an odd relationship with authority. That's going to manifest over time in practice in ways yep. that to outsiders who are more geared toward personal autonomy, mm. Protestants, Western liberals like yep. myself, yep. we're going to look at that and be like, I don't know, no more kings. I don't, that yeah, structure yeah. leads to all kinds of abuses. Right. Ick, I'll take my chances with my Wild West, Deadwood, South Dakota kind of approach out here. So, so you got to be empathetic to the, the Eastern Church ethos. It just happens, a product of its time. It makes sense, product of geography. You have to be empathetic to the hand that the Catholics got dealt. All right, that's going to be your thing. You're going to have issues with authority. Who should have it? Who should wield it? It will be a distraction from time to time. It's going to get weird and mixed up with the state from time to time. You can't begrudge people that. In the same way, Protestantism happens what, uh, 17, uh, 25 years after Columbus sails the ocean blue? You think that's a coincidence? Mm. There's a, we thought the world was full. There's a whole half of the world that we haven't done anything mm -hmm. with yet. Yeah. Whoa, like you can go find yourself. There's a whole new thing. That absolutely connects. And how would we govern there? What if we could do everything new? Not mm. just church, but everything. Yeah. And yeah. we're going to go to a place that is incredibly sparsely populated and just try to figure out how to survive in this new world with new animals and new creatures. It's like going to yeah. another planet. Imagine yeah. what it would do to our minds yeah. if we terraformed Mars with some brilliant discovery that only took two years. And in 2025, we can go to Mars and just start an entirely new life and thrive on a new <laughs> planet. It would change how we think about God, politics, the old fights of religion, 
would start to change and shift and some people would resist it and other people would lean into it. That's what happened. And so one of the things that I really like about that protesty attitude of the Protestants is it put a lot of emphasis back on the self-determination of the individual and mm. what a great system that can be for making a yeah. lot of people much more wealthy and comfortable in terms of economics of making for just government that when it works, yeah. it's as good as it gets. It works Amen. really, really well. Amen. So I, I like all of that, but in order to make those things happen, you got to have a little bit of a fiery independent streak. <laughs> well, that doesn't compute quite as well with church yeah. where you die to yourself, you take up your cross and you follow him. Yep. So it's a great model for how to make a secular society work, a pluralistic society, yeah. but it's not a great model for how to make a local church work. And I think that's sort of the Protestant crisis is combining these two senses of self, the individual that doesn't want to be told what to do, I think often rightly doesn't want to be told what to do by power mongers and the state with the person who is dead to self and alive mm -hmm. in Christ and owes everything about their existence humbly to this unmerited favor they received from God. And everything is about submission to everybody else, submission to God, death to self. I, I mean, <laughs> these are such different values yep, that yep. try to coexist in the same brain, in the same Protestant soul. So, so I say all of that to say we got to acknowledge that it's not just Protestants who have something in the blood. All of us do. That's but good. further, your, the second part of your question was, are we headed for another schism? I don't think so. I think we're headed for putting it back together. Wow. Okay. I think I think we are. And I realize I'm getting a little bit wild-eyed and excited, but this is all I do, man. I'm going around. I'm asking. I'm feeling this thing out. What you, I think, are going to see is the two radical distributions of, of the ends of the curve are going to go away. I don't know what's going to happen to them. Your left-leaning fundamentalism, super liberal expressions of Christianity, I don't know, I don't know where those go. I don't know what the plan is going to be there. Um, I don't know what those are. It's, it's very tough to put a name on that. I understand the play. I'm empathetic to it. Like, let's try to just go with what's working and maybe that'll position us to talk about God. But um, it's not super working and it's ideologically difficult to see where that extreme end of the left distribution of the Christian church goes. It's very difficult to see any future for the extreme radical right end of the distribution of Christianity. Mm. I just do not see how Christian fundamentalism has got much of a future moving forward, except in very small, very angry enclaves. <laughs> and the more that exists in the era of the internet, the more there's a camera right on it and people can see it and be like, I don't want a thing to do with that. If I want to be in an angry enclave, there's one readily available to me everywhere right now, just in the spirit of the age. I don't need a church for that. If I want to be judged by people and alienated, if I don't adhere to the orthodoxy probably or properly, if I want strict, angry, weird sexual ethics inflicted on me, I can get that from secularism right now. I don't need like your weird God thing mixed into it. There's no appeal to that expression of faith. And there's diminishing appeal to this other end of the distribution, the radical end of the distribution of faith. What that leaves is a whole bunch of people in the middle who think there's a God who, because of the increased exposure and smallifying of the world through the internet, are becoming increasingly empathetic and learning to be less threatened by the existence of other Christians who don't do it their way. 
You've got more communication between groups. You've got mm. more migration between groups mm. without tremendous social consequence. People reach a point where they're like, this tradition I was born into, it has this glass ceiling. And I really want to experience these other things. I'm going to be over here for a while. Mm. Uh, and, and this goes in all directions. There's not one neat, tidy flow where like, uh, people come in this way, but then they land here. It's moving in all directions. We're cross-pollinating with each other at a rate we never have, unprecedented in all mm. of history. And it's just post-YouTube. We've only been doing this for 17 years. So it makes perfect sense that at first it's going to feel like, whoa, we're really separating out here mm. because it, because we're all reacting to the threat of realizing that our enclave might not have the single grasp on truth that we thought it did. We're realizing how much of our faith was really predicated on our rightness. And now we just can't dismiss other competent Christians as we get to know them. But I think what you're seeing right now is the, the spirit of the age in terms of faith it's starting to gel back together. Mm. People have adjusted to this reality. We're getting more comfortable with the idea that we might not have the market cornered on every read of every single text and that our historical theological celebrities might have been operating in a bit of a historical bubble and should be appreciated for the tremendous contribution. But I think people are figuring out that something is changing. Here's what I liken it to. Mm. You ever played disc golf? Is that a sport you've ever, have you ever picked up a disc? I've never personally played it, but my buddies play it. Okay. How about golf golf? You ever played around? Yes. Yes. Okay. In either of these sports, you've got a really interesting graph that happens at the beginning. Everybody is in the exact same place. Every ball, every disc is in the exact same place. Mm -hmm. Everyone strikes it and that introduces chaos into the equation. People hit bad shots, people hit good shots. And now all of a sudden after shot number one, you are the most spread out and scattered that you'll ever be in the whole process of playing the hole, but you're all going for the same singular place. So you start in one spot, everybody hits their ball, but as time goes along with each hit, with each throw, everybody's working back toward that same hole, that same spot. And what looks like utter chaos eventually becomes unity as every ball ultimately ends up in that same hole. Now I'm not talking about universalism. I'm not saying everybody's equally right or all the ideas have equal merit. I don't think that. But I think we're getting to a place where this concept of convictional unity, you mm. believe what you believe for a reason and you believe it hard. And I know that because I'm empathetic and I believe what I believe for a reason. And I believe mm. and if I get there, I can give you the assume you did not get there lazily. And if I can see that my cultural moments of, of me and my tradition informed how I got here, then I can give you the benefit of the doubt and assume that your story and the cultural evolutions and pressures that shaped your tradition also got you there. And with each of those realizations, we get a little bit closer to getting back to that same hole. And I think it's, I think it's, it's not just hopeful, but I think it's likely that the church, no longer the dominant force in society and seeing each other in new ways and interacting with each other in ways we never have before, I think there's a chance for us to come back together in a convictional unity, something we haven't tried, where we lean even harder as individual groups into our convictions and our beliefs, but we do it with a newfound sense of empathy for why other Christians are leading hard, leaning hard into their beliefs as well, mm. instead of our previous mindset, which was they're crazy. They're just crazy. That can't be yeah. what it means. Yeah. <laughs> they're nuts. Now I at least get how you're getting there, and it makes, it makes my heart soft to you. Yeah. Now I'm 
imagine if this happens across a couple million Christians. Yeah. These aren't people who are less into theology or suddenly hate the Bible or right. just want to pretend we don't believe anything so we can get along and not be persecuted by outsiders. No. These are people who have had their heart changed by empathy, by a spirit-informed empathy toward their brothers and sisters. And these are people who are growing up and we're learning the ability, the art of disagreement, even on important things. We're developing a new skill set as a church that we haven't had ever I mean, since yeah. Paul and Barnabas walked away, yeah. I think there is an incredible opportunity in what's going on right now. And I do not think we're headed for another schism. I think we're going to see a shaving off of the extreme loud fringes who aren't helping anyway. And I think the rest of us are headed towards something that is new and incredibly powerful. Wow, man. So you're optimistic as I am optimistic. Heck yeah. And yep. that's, that's awesome. Uh, last question. I know you got to go. Uh, back to your channel, guys. Subscribe to Matt's channel. The name Ten Minute Bible Hour. I don't, I, I don't understand it. Is it just no when you start talking the Bible, it. it goes long, and we turn into an hour conversation? What is that? What is the name? And uh, and where could people find out more about you? Dude, I was just screwing around making a silly little channel for a few people in my church, and so I picked some dumb thing, and then it it just worked out. I remember, uh, oh. Johnny Resnick, the guy who had uh, the Goo Goo Dolls back in the day. I think I think that was the lead singer. And I remember an interview with him. He's like, I don't know why we did that. We picked it, and then it accidentally got momentum, and then that was our name, and now that's our <laughs> name. And that's kind of how I feel. I'm like, I'd like to change it, but that's just what it is now. The idea was, like, here's an hour's worth of Bible content in 10 minutes. There you go, my church. Ah. There, and then other people started watching it. So now it's whatever it is, and uh, I just I – just, wear that albatross of shame because I brought it upon myself. <laughs> well, Matt, I, I love your channel, man. I, I watch it regularly. I encourage you guys to go subscribe. Oh, uh, yeah. Show, yeah. Show uh, yeah. You love. asked me to talk about that. The 10 Minute Bible Hours, the YouTube channel uh, that you can get here. That's where I go and do the church visits, uh, a bunch of historical theology, Bible stuff, lots of fart jokes. I try to, like, it's just <laughs> not a lecture. I'm just not going to tell you how you need to act or what you need to do. It's the internet. So the goal is we think about it together. We land where we land because, again, it's the Internet. Then there's a daily podcast of the same name. It's the 10-Minute Bible Hour podcast. Okay. It's actually 10 minutes. And every weekday, we just inch our way through the book of Matthew. Oh, and no. I think, I think it's fun. I think it's light. I, I mean, I, I can't believe how many people seem to like it and are along for the ride with me. And it's easy for somebody to just pick up at the beginning and jump in or jump in right where we are right now. But that's a pretty cool community that I'm, I'm really amped about that. That's fantastic guys. Subscribe to Matt. Matt, thank you so much, man. I got to have you back on. Um, this was, this was, this is a lot of like content condensed uh, in an hour. And so I'm super grateful for you, man. And I would, I would love to do this again sometime. Um, and thank you. Thank you for what you're putting out there because it inspires me. I know it inspires other people. And I think it is adding and helping and, and, and driving this this optimistic future that I, that I think I, I feel and I think. But you just put it in, in words that are so more articulate than, than I could use. So thank you so much, that. brother. I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. I would, I would love to do it again sometime. Guys, Matt from the 10-Minute Bible Hour. Make sure you go subscribe. Thank you so much, brother. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Kingstream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. When the culture says do what you love, we respond with love what you do. You may have responsibilities that you aren't passionate about, but loving what you do means being faithful. 
what's in front of you. Committing to excellence as if that were your greatest dream. Colossians 3.23 says, Work diligently at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Love what you do. Love what you do. King's Dream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Yo, thank you so much for making it to the end of this video. If you found it valuable, considering giving it a like and subscribing. This month, I'm releasing the Love What You Do collection. And to celebrate, I'm doing a three-day virtual event to help us go from learning to love what we do to ultimately doing what we love. By the way, it's free, so hit the link in the description to grab your seat today. Holy smokes, you made it through the entire episode. Shout out to you probably means you're rocking with what we're doing. And again, we ain't got no sponsors on this show and I'm going to keep it that way. But what you can do to keep it sponsor free is consider signing up for our King's Dream Patreon. The link is in the description of this episode. Best way to get a hold of me, best way to hop into a group Zoom call, and the best way to partner with what we're doing here. Help us create more stuff just like this. Thank you for listening. Peace.